Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters. Learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so that you can create those products that all your customers will love. Now, it turns out if you ask 50 different people what marketing is, you will hear 50 different answers. And that is what our guest did to investigate what people think about marketing and how it fits into the work that product managers do. Our guest is Jill Sully, a Silicon Valley strategic product and marketing executive. She currently leads product management at Obo, where she is working on agile product management software that aims to reduce the high failure rates for new products. She has two degrees from MIT and a ton of practical experience. Listen to understand the basic definition of marketing, marketing roles that may have resources useful to product managers, and how we can make better use of those marketing resources. Also, we talked in the beginning about Jill's experience developing the Adobe Creative Cloud, and there was lots to learn just from that. Remember, we take show notes for you. If you hear something you want to go back to or have an easy way of sharing this with others, you can do that by going to the everydayinnovator.com slash 264, where you'll find that written summary. And also, you're going to find a bonus question and her answer to that bonus question when you go check out that summary. It's a question that we don't have on the interview, so you want to go there. That's the everydayinnovator.com slash 264. Now, let's talk with Jill. Jill, thanks so much for joining the Everyday Innovators. Ah, Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited too. So for listeners, Everyday Innovators, we've just been uh, bantering a bit, and I think you're going to really enjoy this discussion. The topic is about marketing and what product managers need to know about marketing. And I think we underutilize our marketing resources and help. And if we work together, there's a lot of benefit there. We'll dive into that. But first, Jill, you have a lot of street cred as a product manager, product developer, and now chief product officer. I'm curious if you just tell us a story, like maybe a, a favorite product that you are part of, why that stood out to you. You know, as a product manager, your products, your babies, right? I have two sons, but I've also got all these other babies that I've launched into the world, some that have done better than others. So it's hard to pick one because I love them all for different reasons. But if I were going to pick one to talk about, it would have to be Adobe Creative Cloud. Hmm. And the reason I would pick that one is because it really was transformational. Like it wasn't just a cool thing that I built with the team, but it was transformational for the company, for the customers, and frankly, for me personally. We, Adobe Creative Suite was Adobe's mature cash cow business, more than half the business, right? I mean, it was huge, but it was mature. And there were a lot of things we couldn't do at the time, uh, a lot of problems we couldn't solve because we just had these boxes, right? And we could only do the stuff that fit in the boxes. But of course, our customers' workflows went beyond the boxes, So that project, it transformed Adobe's mature shrink wrap business to services and subscriptions. It drove significant new growth for the company, and it enabled us to create new value for customers. At the same time, sort of personally, it was a huge change for me in that I'd been working on these much smaller seed projects. And here I was working on this transformational project that most of the company was working on, and I had a leadership role in it. And as well, I had been working part-time. I had young kids at home. I had toddlers. And it it was pretty huge for me because my manager came to me and said, 
we're actually going to invest in this. We're going to put two feet in, we're going to build this thing. And I want you to come and lead this project, but you got to do it. You got to be all in. And I did. And to this day, I'm glad I did. Wow. So we could do a whole discussion about that. And maybe we'll do that in the future. <laughs> that personal transformation that takes place as an organization is going through transformation is common. And I think important too, right? Yes. That if you're going to transform an organization, there is personal transformation that has to take place too, because you have to think about things differently. Yes, completely, so, completely. Now, one thing I was curious about, th this was a big bet. And, and anyone listening to this right now would probably be thinking, wow, that was a huge change in the business model. Would this work for Adobe or not, right? Moving from we're selling software, client, clients, or a software model to a SaaS model, man, is this going to work or not? What were the steps taken to build up confidence that this was the right direction? Well, it's interesting that you ask that because there were all these other companies looking at Adobe and watching this at the time, mm -hmm. right? In addition to all of us at the company. But what people forget, you know, you sort of rewrite the narrative as time goes on. There was a, a big project before Creative Cloud called CS Live. Hmm. And nobody remembers the CS Live thing. At the time, actually, I'm not even sure our customers, many of them even realized this thing existed. But the reality is before we made that big bet, we did a kind of half step. We kind of dipped a toe in the water and it completely failed. Hmm. And that was precisely why it failed because we weren't both feet in. Basically, in the version before Creative Cloud, in the, in the prior version of Creative Suite, which was a you know, suite of products that shipped every two years, we released several services that tied into the products, right? So we shipped these shrink wrap products. They had some buttons in them that linked to these services. Um, and it was a total dismal failure. And it wasn't a failure because those services were bad, but it was a failure because the model was completely wrong, right? The go-to-market model for them was wrong. The integration was wrong. Like the customers didn't find out about them. They didn't discover them, the whole process, right? And it's one of my prime examples for why I wrote Beyond Product, right? I'm here today because you invited me here because this book that we as product managers, we build products, most products fail. And very often it's not because they're necessarily bad products, mm -hmm. but it's because... Uh, we don't do the right things from a go-to-market perspective. Right. Yeah. All kinds of things happen along the way, right? We miss the customer value. And I do remember uh, some email message about CS Live uh, a long time ago and going, why do I need this? Right. I I'm happy with my Adobe Suite products. Why do I mm -hmm. need this? I I'm, I'm not truly the creative market, right, for Adobe Suite. I yeah. dabble with things that I need to get done at times, right? Yeah. So having said that, now when the whole change came to the SaaS model, I looked at that a little bit like, gosh, you're mucking with the products that I know that I like. But I was really glad from a business perspective, right? If, if I put my coaching hat on, like you kind of burn the bridges in a sense that, no, this is the future of how you're going to get your products mm -hmm. and it's going to be better. And we're, yeah. we can make things better for you all the time, right? Yeah. And kind of that burning the bridges, right? You wouldn't burn the bridges without some confidence knowing it was going to work. And that's why I asked the question, what were the steps along the way that got you there? Yeah. Well, and it was a definite risk, right? From a market perspective, right? Adobe's a public company and there was expected revenue and expected revenue right. growth every quarter. And kudos to Mark Garrett, who was the CFO at the time, because he had to set up the expectations and manage that with the street, mm -hmm. which was probably one of the hardest parts. I mean, that was one of the, the risky parts. And we didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, there were models and the whole bit of what was likely to happen and all the different scenarios. 
And customers said, we don't want this, right? We don't want to pay forever for something instead of paying once, right? There was a lot of resistance. I mean, there were so many reasons to be nervous about it, which is common with, you know, innovation. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the adoption was quicker and higher than we expected, which of course had revenue impacts, right? Because in that first version, they could buy it outright or they could subscribe. Mm -hmm. Um, But it ended up because the customers did that and we were successful, there was all this new value that we could now provide to the customer. The the onus was then on Adobe to prove it, which is a lot of work, but kudos. Adobe, I think, has done a great job with it. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for sharing that story. So much more to talk about, but I'm really eager to talk about marketing because it ties into so much with your current book, uh, Beyond Product. Let's make sure we get a definition of what marketing is here. How, how, How do you describe marketing? Okay. Well, there's marketing and there's product marketing, which is often the part of marketing that's particularly relevant to products. So we'll sort of talk about both. So I interviewed about 50 people for this book, and I can't tell you how many different definitions of marketing I got. Probably at least 50. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. I mean, it's sort of mis or maybe not misunderstood, but everyone, depending on your lens, has a different definition. The overriding definition that I like for marketing is it's the two-way communication between your company and your market. And so what I mean by that is if you're trained classically in marketing, right, you probably learned about the four P's, Mm -hmm. product, price, promotion, and placement. Mm -hmm. And now I think there are seven P's or 11 P's or ah, who knows. But um, the point is today we often think about product and marketing as very separate but you'll notice that product is the first one of those. And the point is that those are really the four touch points, right? The four core touch points with customers, where customers interact with your company, right? Mm -hmm. They interact with the product, right? It's where they find out about the product. It's how they buy, how, you know, they buy and what's that experience with the product, right? All of those are critical to your overall picture, your overall customer experience. And that is paramount to, you know, the success of your product, your business. When I think about product marketing, and as I said, like that's really the piece of the part of marketing, right? Marketing includes corporate communications, right? Includes PR and so forth. Product marketing specifically is, I think of it as connecting your product with your market and your market with your product. So in a startup, product marketing and marketing are pretty much the same thing because your company is your product and your product is your company. But in a larger company, then there's corporate marketing and stuff that's way beyond you that you don't really touch, but that sort of flows down into whatever you do. The reason that product marketing and marketing in general, I think are important for product people to understand is because most new products fail, right? Something like 80% of new products fail. I've looked at multiple different studies and all the numbers sort of circle right around there. Mm -hmm. And the number one reason is not because of bad products, but because they weren't able to find and connect with the market. Fundamental thing we have to do. On the four P's aspect of marketing, right? There are other models that's been extended to the seven P's. There's the five C's, which (laughs) emphasize a customer perspective. And that's why 7P's got extended too. And I always think, well, product is the customer, right? If we're developing a product, we're developing it for someone. That means we have to have insight about the customer. Can you just address where marketing communications, Marcom, falls into marketing? Because at least in the past, I had this thought, I suspect listeners might have this thought too, that marketing is Marcom. 
So Marcom is a piece of marketing, right? There are lots of different pieces. And this is why um, everyone has a different sort of uh, definition, I think, of marketing. It depends on your experience, right? It depends mm-hmm. on how you've interacted. In a large company, Marcom exists because you have lots of different products and you need to tell the story on how they fit together, right? What is your your brand? What is your story? Why are you bringing all of these different products to market that seemingly are different products? Hmm. At one point, I, I led marketing for Freshworks, which now has many products. At the time, we had three main products, right? A customer support product and an IT service desk and a CRM, right? A sales hmm. CRM product. Well, w- how did they relate to each other? And why does it matter, right? But whether it's at the Marcom level or the product marketing level, mm-hmm. it should be, to your point, all about the customer, right? And sometimes those customers are different, right? Selling CRM, you sell to a different customer than your customer support product, which is why you've got these different levels of marketing and the story needs to tie together. But you're right, it should all come back and all tie to understanding that customer, right? At the end of the day, all of the problems that I see with marketing they all come back to a case of missing the fundamentals, right? Hmm. And what I see very commonly is one of the, the sort of several, there are a few key problems that I see, common pitfalls, if you will. But a big one is that lack of focus on a very targeted customer, a very targeted market. And that's where all these other problems come from. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think often we think of marketing as that's what happens after we make the product and Marcom is the focus of the that. Wall. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, oh, the, the, they'll just put together the pretty brochure and the website and customers will buy the product. And um, how often is X successful? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about kind of this whole perspective of marketing and how product managers can fit into that. There's resources there in marketing that I think we probably underutilize. What are those typical roles in marketing and resources? And since you have such this great product background, product experience, what can we pull from to help us in our job? Sure. So it, it kind of depends on where you are in the process, certainly. But in particular, um, in the product development process, right, we start early on and we are building out a new product. We have an idea for a new product, mm-hmm. right? And very often we focus in and we iterate, right? At least if we're following, say, the lean startup models or whatever, right? We define this product that we want to build and we define at some level the market that we want to go after. And then we go forth and iterate and build that product, right? And hopefully we do some customer discovery and some testing with customers. What's really interesting is first off, I talked to a VC recently. He gets pitched constantly. And he said, how many of the people who pitch me do you think have gone and done real market research before they come to me when they're pitching me this idea? How many do you think? I would like for that number to be high, but I'm going to say it's, I'll be generous with 25%. None. Zero. None, none, right? (laughs) So your first step, like if you really think... That this is a good, we tend to start with this idea for a product as opposed to turning around and looking, well, what is the problem we're solving? Who's the customer? Is there a need? And actually doing that research, right? Mm -hmm. And consistently, the VCs who I interviewed 
the book said, you know, the, the startup founders who talk to 50, 100 or more statistically relevant sampling of the market before they start to build anything have a much higher rate of success. So resource yeah. number one is market research, right? And that could be you have a marketer who helps you. There could be you're a big company. You have a market research department. Or it could be you write some surveys and you run them in Survey Gizmo, right? Or Survey Monkey, or you go to a you know conference and you interview people and wherever your customers are, you go or prospects are, right? You go there and you talk to people and you run surveys and stuff. And you can do that cheaply, and it's not mm-hmm. easy to write a good survey by all means, but you can do it, and you will get better at it if you do it. So that's number one. And then if you are at a big company and you have product marketers, one of the I think biggest sort of blind spots or failures is we totally write off the value. They're totally undervalued within the company, right? We tend to think of product marketers as those are the launch people, right? I plan my release and everything and I plan my features and I throw it all over the wall when we're about to launch and they're going to go and plan some amazing launch and write a bunch of collateral and stuff. There's a much higher rate of failure when you do that because there's no input. They, they don't have the background. They don't have the depth. You may have missed some stuff. I mean, there's a whole bunch of input that they could provide. They can help with the customer research. And as you're doing discovery, as you're you beta testers, all of the feedback that you get, the words that those customers use to describe the product, the feedback you get, all of that is super, super useful. Mm-hmm to the product marketers when they're planning launches and content and so forth. So they know how to talk about the value of your product. Yeah. And that's a responsibility we have as product managers to help them. Right. So we can pull them in sooner because that will help the launch go better. A frequent complaint I hear from product managers about product marketing is, Oh, they're not representing our product right in the marketplace. That's why it's not doing well. And why do you think that is? Yeah. Are they (laughs) using the insights that we gained? We never told them or did we? Right. Right. Okay, so we got customer market research, key resource we can get from marketing, and a key need for product managers. Most of us say we want to be out with customers more than we can. What other resources do we have in the organization that can help us get those ideas? And then product marketers, another key resource. Anything else for marketing? I have a phenomenal one. (laughs) This great book that just released this year. Yes. For those of you not watching the video, doing this audio, the book is Beyond Product. And the subtitle is How Exceptional Founders Embrace Marketing to Create and Capture Value for Their Business. And the subtitle calls out founders, but this is for anyone involved in product. Yeah, it's really, I think of it as a practical marketing book for entrepreneurs, for anyone who is launching and growing a new product or a new business. Mm -hmm. It includes interviews with more than 50 startup leaders and at different stages. And if you think, I mean, a product is really a startup. It just may be within a larger company and it may Mm -hmm. be within its own company, right? But it really tries to provide a roadmap for how to think about marketing at each stage of your growth to turn your idea into a successful business. So how marketing really works with the product, the the product life cycle. Good. Excellent resource for us for engaging these resources. So we'll talk more about your book uh, in a bit, but that's easy to get for (laughs) engaging our marketing resources in our organization, finding out who can do research for us, find out who has existing insights, maybe just who has access to secondary data databases that we purchased that we don't even know about and getting those product marketers involved. Suggestions for how to better engage those resources, build those relationships, get people kind of on our side? 
So it starts with actually precisely that, right? Building the relationship. It starts with trust. It starts with including them in the process, right? If you come to someone at the end of building a product and you say, here, go launch this and make sure it's successful because we built a great product. They're going to be like, yeah, whatever. You know, They're not going to be invested. Uh-huh. But if you include them early on in your process and give them a voice, listen to them, right? You may disagree. That's fine, right? But all the research says that having diverse perspectives in your decision-making and in your process leads to better results. It's interesting. I was sort of trained in the Marty Kagan school of product management, if you will, right? And there's this idea of the triad, which is the product manager, the designer, and the uh, engineer working together. Mm -hmm. And I very much believe in that model. But the place where I diverge a bit is I really try and incorporate marketing early on as a core part of the team, because I've found when you do that, you get better results. Yeah. Yeah. And early on is key there. Right. Mm -hmm. When we want this help, when we need this help, it's usually too late. We need to build those relationships earlier. I had this really fascinating experience and I I want to share it because I think you'll appreciate it and you might have some insights too. So I do this thing called the rapid product mastery experience, RPM experience. And it's a great way to get product managers trained up and really working better together because they hardly ever talk with each other. And we get amazing things that just happen when we teach them a new framework and they're talking to each other. And sometimes product teams do this. And so I had this uh, product team in a large company go through it. And we do this typically once a week, virtually over eight to nine weeks. And so they're really applying the information as they go. And in this group, there were uh, some product managers, a lot of engineers, and a guy from strategy. And the product managers kept having these questions that come up like, well, if we only knew that about our customers, right, how, how could we figure that out? And occasionally the strategy guy would go, well, we might have data on that. And we would have another meeting and the strategy person will say, well, yeah, we did some research on that last year, right? And it wasn't until really at the end that the strategy person, I think because of a comfort level, because he's talking to people he doesn't usually Mm -hmm. talk to, was at the point he could say, oh, I can share that with you, right? It it took a while to just kind of build that trust. And he had that from strategy. I don't know if marketing actually did the research. I don't know where the data came from, but it was available Yep. And there just need to be that trust build up to say, oh, okay, you have a reason for having that. And I can see how that would help you. Yeah. Even in large companies, you often end up so siloed that probably different business units, different product teams, different marketing teams, strategy team have all different data and different learnings that d- just doesn't get shared. Mm-hmm. Sometimes maybe it's intentional, but often I don't think it is. It's just the nature of the siloed beast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it is connecting the dots. If we can Mm -hmm. do that, we can do a better job creating products that customers love. Yeah. It's interesting because I sometimes mentor young, particularly young women, young product managers and stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the pieces of advice that I give them is that as you grow in your career, you're going to be expected to be strategic, right? What does that mean? And one of the ways to start early is being strategic, part of this, it's just having a bigger picture of you, right? And you mm-hmm. get very siloed, especially when you're sort of early in your career, you're very siloed in what you do. And so I encourage them to uh, invite people from other parts of the company to coffee. Just talk with them and ask them about what they do. Mm-hmm. And it will grow their perspective on the larger what the company does. 
Yeah, it's such a good recommendation. And it not only builds their perspective, it builds their network, right? As they're moving into a more strategic role, now they have people that can help them. Completely. Yep. Really good. Okay, so many more questions I want to ask, but I'm going to leave it uh, for the book to provide answers. As listeners know, I love innovation quotes. A few people do listen to this podcast just for the innovation quote. Hopefully they listen to the other material too, but we do like them. So what, what did you bring for us and why did you choose that one? Okay, so my quote is from Aaron Levy, the CEO the of Box. Box. Yes. And uh, he tweeted out this quote Innovation is hard because solving problems people didn't know they had and building something no one needs look identical at first. Hmm. Now, it's interesting. So my guess is, my expectation is people probably interpret this wrongly, I think. Right? So I picked this quote because... I choose really hard problems to go after. I had breakfast with a friend of mine the other day who looked at me. He's like, why do you pick such hard things, right? New categories, places where the customer doesn't yet realize that there is a problem. But that's really where innovation happens, right? It's when you sort of realize that there is an opportunity to really significantly improve something for a customer. It may end up being a fool's errand, but if it's not, and if you can figure it out, it's huge, right? Huge and impactful. Where I think people sometimes interpret a quote like this wrong is there's that Steve Jobs school of product mm. thinking, right? I know better, and don't, so I'm just going to trust my gut. Don't ask your customers. They don't exactly. know what they want. Right. And right, sometimes if you ask the customer, do you need, they won't say yes. They won't be able to tell you what they need. But let's be real. Apple has a huge market research department, Right. right? You can't get at that direct question directly, but you can get at other answers that help paint a picture. And I can give you an example. Back, this was just prior to Creative Cloud, when I worked on Creative Cloud at Adobe. If you go back to before iPads, right, the iPad was new. And we looked at that iPad, right? Our customers were designers and we said, there's an opportunity here, right? All of our customers carry around moleskin, moleskin journals and they all sketch in their moleskin journals. And very often then they take that and they want to do something with it. So they get to their office and they have to resketch it or make a, a scan of it. And right, they go through all of these hoops in order to get that into Photoshop or Illustrator. Or whatever. And we did a bunch of interviews and sure to a person, they all said, the thought, I don't want to sketch on that. I love my moleskin. I love the feel of it. I love this thing. But they all described this crazy time-consuming process of redoing what they'd already done. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, right, the technology has eventually gotten the, that we got those drawing apps to a place where I was giving a talk and I was actually telling the story. And in the back corner, I saw a guy who's a designer sketching on an iPad while I was talking, mm -hmm. right? And so, yeah, you can't necessarily ask the customer, what do you want? But if you're creative and smart, you can figure out, you can get data to, to support or refute your opportunity. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah, Steve Jobs gets held up a lot for that quote. And the similar one that gets attributed to Henry Ford is the, if I asked customers what they want, they would have said a faster horse. 
which she never said, but it's a great <laughs> line nonetheless. Yeah. But if we would have studied customers and how they were using their horses mm -hmm. and what they were trying to accomplish with their horses, we would have found a segment that would have said, I need to do some different things. I really need to get from here to there faster than I can today. And yep. we would have learned more. So not asking customers to solve the problem for us, but understanding their problem is where insights come from. So exactly. thanks for sharing that quote with us. That's really Welcome. good. Okay. For listeners that do want to find out about your book and about you, how can they do that? So jillsoley.com, J-I-L-L-S-O-L-E-Y.com is probably the best place. You can find information about the book there. You can also go to oboe.pm, which is also where I am building products for product managers. So mm -hmm. if you're curious, go check that out as well. Excellent. I will make sure those links are in the show notes to make it easy for everyone to find. Jill, really appreciate the information. Appreciate the time. Marketing has good resources for us and we need to use them better. And thanks for helping us with that. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers make their move to become product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so that you can create products your customers will love. Find the written summary of that discussion with Jill and that special bonus question that you will only find in the written summary, and that's at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 264. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.